your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Welcome. I'm Joe Schwartz. Uh, I'm a chemist by background, and I direct McGill University's Office for Science and Society with a mandate of demystifying science for the public and for our students. We hope to separate sense from nonsense, and I try to do that with you here every Sunday afternoon. been doing that for uh, going into my uh, 40th year. I have a question for you. Whose motto was the following? To do a common thing uncommonly well brings success. To do a common thing uncommonly well brings success. You can uh, text us at uh, 514-800. And uh, I'm going to talk to you today about a number of um, what I think are interesting things. You know that we've um, had a lot of problems with vaping. This has been in the news uh, a great deal during the past year. And uh, I want to clarify some issues about it. So let's start back in 2002. A new term surfaced that year in the medical literature. That term was popcorn lung. It's a serious uh, condition, uh, technically called bronchiolitis obliterans, and it was found to occur with an unusual frequency uh, among workers uh, who were in uh, manufacturing plants that were making butter-flavored microwave popcorn. Well, what was causing this? Eventually, it turned out that it was one specific chemical, diacetyl. That's the stuff that was added to impart a buttery taste to the popcorn. Now, this chemical actually uh, can be found in nature. It occurs in cultured butter. What's cultured butter? It's, it's, it's not butter that has had the works of Shakespeare read to it. Uh, it's butter that derives its flavor from chemicals that are produced by bacterial cultures. Bacteria may be present in the cream for which butter is made. But these days, butter is often made from pasteurized cream. And that means that the bacterial cultures have to be introduced. And they are, and that then induces fermentation. Well, diacetyl is also found in other fermented foods. It's found in some types of beer, as well as in Chardonnay wines. When produced synthetically, however, it has to be called artificial even though it is identical to diacetyl that is formed through fermentation. If you're going to eat diacetyl, there's no issue, totally safe. But inhalation of the vapor that is formed when it is heated, that's a different story. And this was demonstrated by the popcorn lung cases seen in workers exposed to aerosols containing that chemical. So occasional indulgence in butter-flavored microwave popcorn is not a concern. But the consumption can be a, a different story. And in 2012, a jury actually decided that frequent exposure to vapors formed from the butter flavoring were instrumental in a consumer's lung disease. Well, this guy was eating microwave popcorn all the time, and of course he was doing it in his house, and the house was constantly filled with the, the, the vapor. Anyway, the jury awarded him over $7 million dollars claiming that the manufacturer and the grocery store where he bought the stuff should have warned him of the risk. Strange. Anyway, more recently, diacetyl has been in the news. Why? 
because of this mysterious lung disease that has been killing people, mostly uh, over uh, 25 years old, but they're young people. And uh, about 30 of them have died. And about 1,600 others have had some serious lung complication and had to be put on ventilators, at least temporarily. And the common feature among those afflicted is that they all vaped, although not necessarily the same products. Well, what are vapes? They're battery-powered devices that heat up a liquid to produce a vapor, and that vapor, of course, is inhaled. They first came on the market about 10 years ago as electronic cigarettes. And the idea was to deliver nicotine without the harmful effects of burning tobacco. Ideally, they were said to be a stepping stone towards giving cigarettes. But to make vaping more enjoyable, a variety of flavors, diacetyl being one, were incorporated into the vaping liquid. Along the way, vapes became sidetracked, and variations hit the market with inhalable THC. And that, of course, is the uh, psychogenic uh, component of cannabis. Wherever cannabis is legal, and of course it is legal now here in, in Canada and is legal in a number of U.S. states, the products that contain cannabis extracts have to undergo testing for potency and for purity. But unfortunately, there are numerous illicit versions available on the black market that are not backed by any sort of testing. Any attempt to unravel the cause of vaping-related lung disease is hampered by the large variety of products available. There's no single ingredient that's common to the liquids used by vapors who have been affected by the lung disease. Still, in 2016, the European Union, just to be on the safe side, banned diacetyl as a flavoring in liquids used in vapes. But in North America, it's still legal. Not all of them, of course, contain it, but uh, some do. Uh, while diacetyl may be responsible for popcorn lung, it doesn't seem to be the, the felon that, uh, uh, when it comes to vaping problems. What about other flavors? Well, the cinnamaldehyde commonly added, that's the flavor of cinnamon, that's been shown in cell cultures to destroy cilia, the hair-like structures that protect the lung from absorbing contaminants. It also impairs the ability of immune cells to annihilate bacteria. Vanilla flavoring does the same. This problem, of course, doesn't arise when these chemicals are ingested because then they pass through the liver, and that's the organ that is tasked with removing potential toxins. However, they bypass the liver when they're inhaled directly. Still, flavors are not always present in the vape liquids that have caused problems. So what then is responsible for the outbreak of vaping-related illness? The only common feature is that all victims have vaped either nicotine or THC-containing products, although each of these can have a variety of other ingredients. One suspicious ingredient is vitamin E acetate, found in many illicit THC products. Pure THC oil is generally viscous, and knowledgeable vapors inspect THC cartridges for the viscosity of the contents. Seems that vitamin E acetate has just the right viscosity to dilute THC oil and fool consumers into thinking they are getting a more potent product. While vitamin E acetate is safe in vitamin supplements or when used as an ingredient in cosmetics where it is claimed, oh, albeit without significant evidence, to reduce scar tissue, it may produce toxic breakdown products when it is heated. So this may be an issue. 
It is also possible that pesticide residues, mostly found in illicit THC products, are responsible for the problem, or that cadmium oxide released from cadmium-containing silver solder used in cheap vape pens. It's confusing, for sure. But let's keep in mind, though, that with over 10 million people vaping and about 1,600 being affected, the risk is small. Uh, aside from uh, you know, uh, telling you not to, to vape, <laughs> I, I think there's, you know, there is some hope, although not very much, that it can lead to people giving up cigarettes, in which case, of course, it's, it's a good thing. But the success rate there is uh, is not great. So right now, we still don't have an answer to the, the problem. But uh, chemists, of course, all over the world are working on this issue. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. We'll be right back. Life's everyday mystery solved. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Okay, the question I uh, I had posed was who's responsible for the quote to do a common thing uncommonly well brings success, but I guess I neglected to give the phone numbers 514-790-0800. 514-790-0800. Who said to do a common thing uncommonly well brings success? Okay, let's uh, talk a little bit about plastics in the microwave because I get lots of questions about that. And and I know you've heard the scares. If you dare microwave food in a plastic container, you might as well make reservations for a hearse. Toxic chemicals, including the dreaded dioxins, will jump from the plastic into the food and proceed to violate your health. So, what's the real scoop? Let's face it. If there's contact between two surfaces, there will always be a transfer of material. Fingerprints are a good illustration of this. Touching a surface leaves behind a residue of fats and proteins which constitute a fingerprint. You can smell sweat on clothes that have been worn. Obviously, something has been transferred. Handle a doorknob and you can pick up bacteria that someone else has deposited there. So there's no question that if food is stored in contact with plastic, there will be some exchange of molecules. If you store tomato sauce in a margarine container, you will note a reddening of the plastic. That's because some of the lycopene, which is responsible for the red color of tomatoes, has been transferred to the plastic. And obviously then, some transfer in the other direction can also happen. To what extent? depends on the type of plastic and what is stored in it. Whether we worry about such transfer depends on what type of compounds are being transferred and in what amounts. A producer who wants to sell margarine in a plastic tub has to demonstrate that any chemical leached from the plastic shows up in the margarine in insignificant amounts. But there is no requirement to show that a used margin container is totally inert if spaghetti sauce, for example, is stored in it. Neither is there a requirement to show that such a container is safe for microwaving. Some plastic containers are formulated with plasticizers to make them pliable. These can leach out, but again, depends on what is stored in them. There's virtually no leaching into dried foods, and water-based and oil-based foods will leach plastic components to different extents. In any case, the amounts of such contaminants are extremely small, but that does not necessarily mean they are inconsequential. There's a concern that plasticizers in the phthalate family may have a hormone-like effect, 
even in vanishingly small concentrations. And the same worry holds for bisphenol A, which is a breakdown product of polycarbonate plastics. Also, plastics are polymers, which means they are composed of very large molecules, which by and large are inert. However, when they are made, there's often some residue of the monomers uh, from which they are constructed, and those can leach out. Polyethylene, for example, is inert, but molecules made up of just a few ethylene units linked together are always present in tiny amounts in the finished plastic and are responsible for that uh, plasticky taste. Sometimes it's apparent in foods or beverages that are stored in such containers. But these compounds are harmless. In summary then, while there are some issues in this area, the emails that circulate blow them out of proportion. There is no dioxin that leaches out from plastics, and containers designed for microwaving do not have plasticizers. The best advice is to microwave only in containers that are designed for such storage. Tupperware Rubbermaid are good examples. And of course, there's no issue at all with glass containers. So that's preferable. In any case, whatever chemicals enter a food supply from plastics are trivial when compared with the multitude of both natural and synthetic substances of unknown toxicity to which we are regularly exposed. But the one that, that really uh, bugs me is the allegation that dioxin, which is a very, very uh, nasty chemical and indeed is a potent animal carcinogen, uh, leaches out of uh, plastic containers uh, that are uh, used in microwaving. There's an email that circulates attributed to a Dr. Fujimoto, and this is a, a guy that is not findable except in that email. You Google him and nothing comes up. And uh, according to the circulating email, he was on some television talk show telling people that this horrific compound dioxin leaches out of uh, microwavable uh, plastic containers. Well, dioxin is a chlorine-containing compound, and it is true that if you have, uh, for example, polyvinyl chloride, which is a plastic that contains chlorine, when that is incinerated, you can form some dioxin. However, the containers that are used in microwave cooking are made of polyethylene or polypropylene, and those do not have any chlorine. So if they do not have any chlorine, they cannot possibly form dioxin. That's a simple principle of, of, of chemistry. Dioxin has chlorine, polyethylene, polypropylene do not, so they cannot possibly form dioxin. But there's another point here, and that is that your microwave oven is not an incinerator. The microwave oven operates at ac actually very low temperatures because what it does is it heats up water, and it's the hot water that cooks the food. So a microwave oven basically operates at about 100 degrees, whereas incinerators operate at about 1,800 degrees. So there's no worry about dioxins leaching out of containers uh, when you're cooking in the microwave oven. But as I said earlier, uh, if you really want to make sure that nothing leaches out of the plastic, use a glass container. Ceramic also has been suggested, but you know there are some ceramic containers that, that uh, have uh, various kind of uh, uh, colorings on them. And you're never quite sure what those are, especially when they come from China. You don't know whether or not they contain lead. Anyway, that's the, the poop on plastic containers in the microwave oven. We're going to take a break, and after that, we will rehash our Trottier Public Science Symposium that took place this past week. Stay with us. 
science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. I uh, actually had an answer to my question. The question was, who said to do a common thing uncommonly well brings success? And uh, I had a correct answer texted in uh, by Elan from Montreal West. And uh, he was right. It's Henry Heinz who built an empire on that belief. And he started out by selling his own bottled horseradish when he was 12 years old. He went on to make pickles, mustard, chili sauce, ketchup. In 1875, pickles almost put him out of business. You know why? Because he promised farmers he would buy all their cucumbers at 60 cents a bushel. Well, there was a bumper crop that year, and he didn't have enough money left after buying pickles, after buying the cucumbers to change them into pickles. He recovered, and he was the first to introduce employee benefits, such as medical and dental care, company picnics. He had a swimming pool for his employees and various self-improvement courses. Campaigned for the Pure Foods Law, which was aimed at eliminating dangerous substances used in food processing. That law was passed in 1906. Heinz died in 1919. So now you know the story behind your ketchup. Okay, now we're going to do an autopsy. Well, not a literal one, a verbal one. As uh, you know, because I've been telling you for weeks and weeks, this past week uh, we had our Chartier Public Science Symposium, Longing for Longevity was the title, and we had two spectacular guests, Dr. Ruth and Dr. David Sinclair of Harvard University. In studio with me now is Emily Shore. Emily does all the behind-the-scenes work in organizing the uh, the symposium. I was so going to say, thought... I think it took years <laughs> off my life. Yeah. <laughs> well... But you learned about longevity, yes, so you I did. also yes. you neutralized the years that was taken exactly. out by what what you learned. All right, Doctor Ruth was was an amazing person too. To amazing, me. and we chauffeured her around for what we shuttled her everywhere three days. Yeah, and she comes alone. She comes alone. She's ninety one. She's a firecracker, a four foot seven. Okay, ninety one and a half. Four foot seven ball of energy. She sure Quick. is, and of course, she has an amazing story. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a movie about her life. Yes, it's on Hulu in the States. Here, you could see it on iTunes, rent and buy. Yeah, and I, I would really urge you to do that. The movie is called Ask Dr. Ruth, and uh, it's an hour and a half. You will be absolutely captivated by the story of this lady. Uh, she was born in Frankfurt uh, in Germany uh, before the war when she was 10 years old. She was one of the lucky ones because she got out of Germany on the so-called kinder train when Switzerland took in a, a few thousand Jewish children, and she was in an orphanage. Uh, eventually, she went to Israel. She joined yeah. the Haganah. She mm-hmm. was a sniper. Yeah. She was injured by um, by an explosion. She said that she uh, uh, had to spend some time in hospital. She had operation on both legs. Mm-hmm. But as she repeatedly told us, mm-hmm. that is not why she's short. She no. wouldn't be short anyway. Exactly. Uh, she uh, eventually ended up in the U.S., uh, where she did a degree in psychology, and she became Dr. You, R- Ruth, uh, who specialized in giving sex advice on uh, radio and on TV. Mm-hmm. And she was really the first to do that. Uh, yeah. Well, she, and as you see in the documentary, I mean, and she was also the first to just go by the first name, and all the doctors followed, Dr. Oz, Dr. Phil, uh, any Remember, other? Uh, Dr. Joe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was Dr. Ruth, the trailblazer. She really was. I mean, she was a, a trailblazer. Uh, she uh, 
she used uh, language that uh, mm-hmm. was never used on radio or on no. television before. Uh, now, of course, it's uh, much more acceptable right. because you know we just. But she she did. Society. She really created a spot um, on air, you know, to tackle those previously taboo topics that would be publicly discussed. It just normalized it a little bit, and I think it was the fact that, and she says also that she was this small, older woman with an accent who just doled out yeah. frank advice. <laughs> As she does, and she's witty. Uh, Like when she spoke the other day, she said, well, yesterday we talked about elections. Today we're talking Mm. about erections, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So uh, those are the kind of comments that would not have been heard uh, back in the the, uh, 80s. and we, she also, I'm sorry, she, she doesn't talk about politics. I thought this was interesting because, you know, she, when she says she talks about sex from morning till night, you can't, you can't really uh, insert your political views and make people feel comfortable. However, as of recent, there are three things that she will talk about, and that's the uh, Planned Parenthood, because that was where she kind of got her start. Um, planned Parenthood, abortion, uh, women's right to choose, and the separation of children from their parents, because that is her story. Um, so now she is speaking out on those issues. And at 91 and a half, she said she's able to uh, finally do that. Yeah, uh, she yeah. doesn't talk about politics, but I, I think we have a pretty good feeling of who and, she would not vote for. I'm not sure she's <laughs> right. checking off Trump. <laughs> right. right. Um, we had her on uh, on Wednesday night. Uh, mm-hmm. She spent the whole evening with us. Instantly, we had uh, uh, about 1,500 people who joined us over the two over both uh, nights, both nights uh, which is... Uh, uh, a record, I think. I don't know how we could top two, that for next the year. two nights. Although it probably is not not a record for a single night. I think when we had Randy yeah. uh, back, uh, when was that? Uh, it's 2010. That was that was our first. The OSS yeah. hosted yeah. one, but that was also in Leacock. That, that was, was in back Leacock, in the day, and I, I think we stuffed about 750 people into Leacock. At yeah, that, but that I time. think we might have even had that for David Sinclair on the on the the Tuesday night. I mean, it's, his uh, followers possible. were yeah. really amazing. David Sinclair is a professor at Harvard. And he is one of the world's leading researchers in in aging. And he really tantalized us with some Mm -hmm. fascinating research. Uh, He originally started the whole red wine story. Mr. Resveratrol. Yeah, he is Mr. Resveratrol. And, uh, uh, of course, uh, he he tells us that uh, the amount of resveratrol in in wine is not significant. And the studies that he has done with with mice uh, that have been quite interesting uh, have used the equivalent of about a hundred bottles of, of wine. So no, the youth does the fountain of youth is not to be found in in, in a in wine, wine bottle. Uh, it may be found in the lab. Uh, he talked about a variety of supplements that he's he's working on that uh, at least in in rodents have extended their longevity, and which are now in uh, clinical trials in in the U.S. Uh, so he's a name that you want to follow, David Sinclair. If you Google him, uh, you will have an awful lot of. Uh, very, very interesting uh, information. So he spoke to us on, on, on Tuesday night, and, and his, that was followed book, by Dr. His, Ruth. His book, his book is, also, Lifespan, is on Amazon, yeah. and he's doing a bunch of uh, – it just came out. And he's also really on podcasts, on everything, on science podcasts, on, on quote-unquote, like other normal podcasts. I mean, really, and he doesn't understand what he's talking about. Yeah, he's, he's he, very it's very good. Palatable. And uh, Dr. Ruth uh, – uh, after speaking at our symposium, also spoke at Shah Hashemayim mm-hmm. Synagogue. Uh, quite a we different kind of talk. 300 people. Yeah. 300 people. And then we took her to the airport on, on Friday and uh, <laughs> dispatched her to Los Angeles. Off she went. <laughs> where she is going to appear on the uh, Ellen DeGeneres show. Did she say which yeah, day that would be? I saw the schedule. She's on Tuesday. I, 
I assume it's lot. I think it's air to tape. I, 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 yeah, I think she's on. Well, she is on Tuesday. I, I believe it's airing Tuesday as well. So talking to Academy voters yes. this coming uh, well, weekend. Well, we'll see. Maybe she mentions us on Ellen. That would be interesting. Yeah. Joe tried to get her to uh, just put that in there. And she was like, I can't promise anything, but I'll see what I can do. Okay. We're going to take a break here. Listening to the Dr. Joe Show. We'll be right back. Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. I love that song. That was originally uh, played in, at the World's Fair uh, in, in New York in '63, uh, and then it was taken over by Disney. It was uh, played in a pavilion in Disneyland. Great song by the Sherman Brothers. They also did. Uh, they did a spoonful of sugar. Yes, they did. They did. And the spoonful of sugar, of course, was uh, a tribute right. to vaccination. It was oh. a tri- tribute to the polio vaccine mm-hmm. because the uh, uh, Sabin vaccine was uh, a drop of the vaccine on a cube of sugar. And mm-hmm. kids were to to eat that. Who knew when watching Mary Poppins, that's what it was. Right. Okay. Well, we're, we're kind of going over our uh, Trachis Symposium where we had uh, Dr. David Sinclair of Harvard and Dr. R- Ruth uh, Westheimer, uh, who uh, really regaled us in, in, in many ways with her stories. And it was really fun to spend some time with her. We took her to Beauties, mm-hmm. uh, showed her some of the uh, highlights of, uh, of Montreal. She went to the Holocaust uh, yep. Center here. Yeah, uh, We've had uh, a number of questions about uh, how those of you who missed the symposium could uh, see it. And it is possible because we did tape it, mm-hmm. and it will be available. Available early next, I think I think Monday. I think tomorrow or Tuesday it'll be all on our social media channels, our YouTube channel, and I will also put it on our website with a direct link on how to get there. So, uh, And it'll be in our newsletter. Okay. So. Our, our website, of course, is mcgill.ca slash OSS, mm-hmm. and that's also where you go to sign up for our weekly newsletter. And that uh, is free, of course, and it arrives in your email inbox every Saturday morning at exactly 600 a.m., right? Yeah. So that you can be entertained all weekend by the the pearls of wisdom that we cast uh, out there. Uh, the uh, we've been organizing this symposium now for ten years, and and we've had a lot of uh, very interesting people, and of course we've had a good time doing it. Uh, but uh, nobody really can appreciate what it takes to organize such a thing unless mm-hmm. unless you've done this. I mean, Emily works on this for months. For months. I mean, we we'll, we put this aside, we breathe for a little bit, and pretty much when we get back after Christmas break, I think we start to um, brainstorm other ideas. And then possible speakers and speakers that can really, uh, I mean, sometimes there's a lot of people that can speak to these topics, but not, not for the public necessarily, or they, they use too much scientific jargon or they're not great with people. And, you know, so we really try with this symposium, uh, like our office to separate sense from nonsense and to be able like you, uh, Dr. Joe, uh, to kind of take the message and simplify it for people and Give us, you know, what we need to know. So we also want to make sure that our speakers are, are good in that way for this. And I think we've done a pretty good job vetting them over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them have been very, very good. Yeah. And we, of course, are uh, are open to suggestions about uh, what you would like to see and hear at our next uh, symposium. Mm-hmm. We're kind of tossing uh, topics around. Uh, I think uh, something to do with the environment uh, would be interesting where we could, you know, address uh, perhaps some aspect of global warming, 
take a look at the whole issue of plastics in the environment. I mean, we've heard about uh, uh, the horrible things, uh, you know, the the huge plastic garbage patch mm-hmm. in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, these are uh, interesting things, but we're, you know, open to suggestions. You can text us at 514-800, or you can, you know, call here at 514-790-0800. Or, of course, you can send us an email. Uh, You know, my email is joe.schwartz, that's S-C-H-W-A-R-C-Z, at Mm mcgill.ca. And uh, so we're really uh, looking forward to hearing some uh, suggestions about what you would like to see. And then we will start looking for speakers. Uh, we'll look for speakers, you know, who are very adept at uh, kind of translating the uh, the science. Yeah. And uh, they also have to be somewhat entertaining because, you yeah. know, for uh, these public presentations have to be sort of a, a blend of... Uh, edutainment. Edutainment, right, yeah. right. And I think uh, most of them really have been, and we've had some, some really uh, spectacular speakers over the years uh, you know, you know, some that really stand out in my mind are Walter Willett uh, from Harvard, who, mm-hmm. who talked about uh, nutrition. He was maybe a little less entertaining, but he was certainly very smart, and his presentation yeah. was great. And uh, Jane Brody. Uh, Jane Brody, New York Times nutrition. New York yeah. Times. She was uh, she was very good. Mm-hmm. She we, also was a small firecracker. She was she <laughs> those was. large personalities yeah. and small uh, small people. And uh, then, as we mentioned before, uh, about nine years ago, we had James Randi. And uh, he is an icon, just like Dr. Ruth. Uh, Not in the same world. He's in the skeptical world. Randi, of course, originally was a magician. uh, And then he he became sort of the god of critical thinking. Mm -hmm. And he inspired many people, uh, myself included, to to make sure that people are getting the science right. And... uh, we were in uh, Las Vegas last weekend for uh, a skeptic conference, and he was there. Yeah. He is now uh, He's 90, 91 as 91, well. mm-hmm. maybe even 91 and a half, and a half. <laughs> like yeah. Dr. Ruth. Yeah. Uh, he is not in uh, quite as good shape as, as Dr. Ruth. He uh, is uh, is in a wheelchair, but uh, his mind is uh, is all there. Uh, and he he has now really for about seventy years been a, a beacon in the darkness in in terms of of science and and uh, critical thinking. It's a long time. It sure is a long time. And uh, he was uh, originally, as I said, a magician, an escape artist, mm-hmm. and he did some classic escapes, including uh, Niagara Falls, hanging upside down over Niagara Falls. Uh, he uh, duplicated a number of Houdini's uh, mm-hmm. effects. And uh, he has written uh, a number of books. Uh, he was a, a real pain in the butt for Uri Geller. Uh, Geller, of course, is the... Uh, uh, Spoonbender. Magician who <laughs> pretends to bend spoons by the power of the mind, although he does it by perfectly explicable scientific means. And uh, Randy even wrote a book uh, about it. So, so they were uh, not on the friendliest... Uh, uh, terms because of course Randy explained how he does uh, his stuff although these days Geller is is uh, sort of come around a little bit he was giving a talk at the uh, uh, conference for Society of American Magicians and uh, it was sort of a tongue-in-cheek talk and he he talked about uh, how uh, magicians can get more publicity for their shows etc 
And of course, he was referring to himself, you know, yeah. sort of tongue in cheek. I mean, he never actually came out and said that he was using magic tricks right. to bend spoons. But obviously, with the audience that he had there, everyone knew exactly yeah. what the truth is. So it was uh, it was kind of a, you know, a, a fun thing uh, to watch. Okay, so that's it for uh, our conference for this year. As I said, we're going to start thinking about uh, next year. 2020, and it's actually going to be a big one because it's going to be a part of um, Miguel's Bicentennial events. Miguel's turning 200 next year, and the festivities are going to be long, large and long. And the, the this symposium will be one of the Faculty of Science's uh, Bicentennial events, so I think it's going to be good. Great. And that's it. We are out of time. But I'll uh, be back with you same time, same station next week. Until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out just right.